All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, man, is anybody excited to be here today? Come on, are we excited more about Jesus and who he is? Come on, can we give God our best praise all over this place? Come on, Lawrenceburg, let's honor him for just a minute. Listen, it's great to have you guys in the house. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor. It's a privilege to have everybody here in Florence. Can we welcome all of our faith family up in Lawrenceburg? Good to have you guys. LB in the house and all of our guests, VIPs, if it's your first time here, we just want to say welcome. Man, we just believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. That's why we do this. We want people to know, man, that God will meet you where you are. Whatever you're going through, whatever your struggle, whatever your issue, God is your hope. He's our answer. Come on, does anybody here know that because you've experienced that? And I just got to say, come on, how many churches open with Imagine Dragons? Come on. Can we give it up, man? Our worship team, man, just always pushing the boundaries to be creative. And I was going to sing it, but I had a, little, <clears throat> had a little something going on this morning, so I had to let AJ sing it. Well, listen, last week we launched a brand new series entitled Rivals. And kind of rivals is this idea, right? A rival is somebody that's competing against you for superiority. And we see that in culture. We see it everywhere we look. We see it on the sports scene. We see it on the gridiron. And for this series, the goal is not really to talk about the rivals that we experience in culture and in public. This conversation that we're talking about through this series is to talk about the rivals that we face, not publicly, but personally. And we introduced this idea last week that we all experience, and we said this, position opposition. That I believe that there are things that God calls us to, that we have, like there are callings on our lives and purposes and opportunities that God gives all of us. And we experience this and we know this, that it's just not easy to step into. It's almost like as we go through life, there's this constant wind on our face, there's this constant tugging, and it's just hard to get where God's called us. It's hard to stay where we know we're supposed to be. Anybody here ever experienced that? That's position opposition, where there is opposition that we have that's holding us either out of the place God has gotten us or out of the place God wants us to go. Whether Really, we recognized last week that that is a rival. We have a real spiritual enemy that shows up in different ways in different times. So the challenge is this, that you need to know that like, maybe what you're going through is not just a funk, it's a fight, right? It's not just a season, it's a skirmish, right? It's not just, you know, we have these ideas, right? It's, it's not just, you're not just having a bad day. Some in this room, you're in a real battle. And so last week, we just kind of issued the call that maybe the way out of the season you're in is, is just to fight the fight. Everybody say fight the fight. We have a rival and we just got to make a decision to, to fight. And so I want to pitch out a couple pictures. We did some last week, had some fun with them. And so as these pictures jump on the screen, I want you just to answer. These, here's, here's the question. In their prime, who would win toe-to-toe, right? Here it is right here. First one, Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson? Scream it out. Okay. Hey, man, just you can say it once, bro. That's it. One time. You got big biceps, so I'll give you two, actually. You get to say it twice. Here we go right here. Some of you may not recognize this guy, but he is an all-timer. Tom Brady or Joe Montana? Okay. All right. Here we go right here. Here's one. Toe-to-toe, all-time, the Tiger Woods or all-time Jack Nicholas. Okay. Now, here's one. You may, this may stump you for a minute, but all-time gold, win, uh, gold medal winner, Hussein Bolt or me in a foot race. Now, listen. Don't let this frame fool you. I'm much quicker in a hundred yard, hundred, about a hundred inches, if someone distracts him for about 30 seconds, I got him. I got him. 
Here we go right here. This is all-time conversation that I'm in on a regular basis. Come on, the King LeBron James or Michael Jordan. Y'all are 0 for 3. I'm about to go find another church. My people are out there somewhere. I thought y'all were it. The answer is LeBron James, by the way. Here we go. I'm going to start out throw this one out just to stir the pot. Here we are. How about Nick Saban or Urban Meyer? Now, stop. Y'all watch the game. He had no business having two in the game at all, in a meaningless game, much less when they're winning, what, it's 35 to 7 half? He should have been Nick Saban who? That's what I'm saying. I know some of you are like, you won't find your own church all right. <laughs> here we go. Just to stir the pot, I think this is a great question right here. All-time coach Nick Saban or Bear Bryant? Bear Bryant? Right? I mean, here's the thing is, if you brought any of these people who are epic, who all of these guys as coaches, as players, as golfers, as boxers, they're in the GOAT conversation, the greatest of all time. The fun thing is we can have the conversation, but we will never really know who will win between Tyson and Ali. We'll never really know in their prime who would win, Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas. I said you could have two. We have armed security up in this place. Tase him. <laughs> but here's the thing. Listen, listen, listen. Here's what I do know is that given the chance in their prime, Tyson would never back down from Ali or Ali from Tyson. Tiger would never back down from Jack. Saban would never back down right? Why? Because the greats are always willing to compete against the rivals. The question is, what is it about us that holds us back from fighting the fight? What is it in us that holds us out from engaging in our rivals? What I want to talk to you today is I believe with all of my, all of my heart, and this is what I want to engage in today, is the reason some of us aren't fighting is because we don't really believe we can win. And you'll never fight a fight unless you believe you can win the fight. Here's what I want to talk about is this idea of intimidation, summation. Everybody say that. Intimidation, summation. Intimidation, summation is when you add up all of the challenges and it makes you back down from your challenger. When you look at all of the obstacles, when you weigh out everything you're facing, when you look at all of the things your spouse has done against you, when you look at all of the habits that, that you've wrestled with, when you look at your family line and it's always been this way, come on. Like some of us, we feel so overwhelmed and outmatched that we just tap out. We experience intimidation, summation. The fight is too big. The battle's raging too hard. It's too much for us. Intimidation, summation. The story we're talking about through this series, many of you know. If you don't know it, it's okay, but it's an old, well-known, familiar story in the Old Testament. It is the original intimidation, summation story, the story of David and Goliath. Again, we set it up last week, right? What an epic battle scene. As you peel back the pages of Scripture, the story jumps from the pages, and we find the narratives start being written that on one hill is this army, this battle, and they're, they're ready, they're set, called this nation, the Philistines. And they're fighting their adversary, the foe. It's been on time, on and go, ongoing. Is this group of people, God's people, the nation of Israel. And so we have God's people fighting their enemy, the Philistines, and the Bible says there's a valley separating them. And we know the story. It's not army against army, it's man against man. And this guy, this behemoth, this giant mountain of a man steps out on the battlefield. His name's Goliath, and here's, 
how the story, how the narrative goes. Check it out, 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a bronze coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. So you got to get this picture, right? I mean, in, in modern times, it would be like this. And coming down on this side, weighing it at 100 pounds, soaking what, age 14, 5 foot 2, David. And there's like this spattering of applause, like, that's it. He's a kid. He's tiny. He ne he'll never win. And then coming in, the all-time champion of the world, coming in at 9 feet tall, 700 pounds, the Goliath. Let's get ready to, come on. Rumble, it's not even a fight. Rumble, what? You got a giant against a kid? You got this behemoth mountain of a man stepping into the valley? Everybody responded in this way. Verse 24, as soon as the Israelite army, come on, read it with me. As soon as they saw him, they began to run away in fright. And they said, have you seen this giant? intimidation summation, as soon as they sized up how big he was, how, how stout his armor was, they, they said, man, there's, there's no way any of us can defeat. Like, how do they know they didn't even fight him? It's when you, what you sum up causes you to back down. Did you know the name Goliath? I, I try to say this on a regular basis. If you're new to scripture, every name in the Bible means something. If there's a person named, a city named, a place named, it's there for a reason. It all has meaning. The name Goliath, the foundation of the name, the root word for the name Goliath, did you know it means to strip naked? Because that's what the enemy does. The enemy wants to strip you and make you feel vulnerable. Come on, have you ever felt like there's something in front of you? Anybody in this room ever feel overwhelmed, outmatched? Come on, let's be honest. Anybody here ever feel like, I can't do anything with this? And that's what Goliath does when he, when he steps on the battlefield, when, when your rival faces you off. He wants you to feel like you have no chance to win. You just feel stripped. And I, I just got to say this, though. Have you forgotten God in your equation? Have you forgotten God in your equation? Because I just want you to know God plus anything wins. If you put God on your side of the equation, you win. Come on, everybody say, I win. And so this story, man, just unpacks. And this guy is huge. But I don't know about David when we get to him. But I think just too many of us, we tap out in life. We've been facing challenges in our home. Our marriage has been falling apart, and like we're not sure what we can do. And I hear people say it all the time. Like, we've done the counseling thing, Pastor. Yeah, but, but have you done the covenant thing? Like, till death do us part. Like, you're not going to peel me away from that person until I'm dead. Like, we tap out on our marriage because it's hard. We give up on our kids because the struggle's too big. Some of you in this room, some of you in Lawrenceburg, you've been fighting lifelong addictions and habits, and it just feels like you can, you can never get free for long. And so you start tapping out because you believe you can't win. You start getting intimidated out of the fight, so you stop fighting. And you can never win a fight that you don't fight in. Intimidation, summation. The enemy wants to strip you of your confidence that you can never win a fight, so you don't fight, so you can't win the fight. What would happen? What would happen if you started believing you could win? What would happen if you're here and you believe you could have the marriage God really dreamed of you having?
What would happen if you believed you could really have your purpose and your destiny? What would happen if you really believed the business isn't too big to open? The degree isn't too big to get? The financial freedom isn't too... Come on, I wish somebody would help me. What if you really believed God on your side, the fight wasn't too big and you could win it? Come on, you would begin to fight. Come on, everybody say fight the fight. See, as you move through this story, right, watch this, 1 Samuel 17, David, he shows up on the battlefield. All of, all of the army of Israel are running in fright and fear and intimidation from this behemoth of a man named Goliath. And David's like, eh, I think I can take him. I love his attitude. Watch. 1 Samuel 17, he says this, verse 26. David asks the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get? Everybody ask that question, what will I get? Come on, ask, what will I get? There, you, there's something to get out of the fight. Watch. What will I get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? And all the people there said this, and they, they gave David the same reply. They said, yeah, you're going to get this reward. The reward was this. I didn't read it. The reward was you got one of the king's daughters as a bride, and you got tax-exempt status for life. Now, listen, I'm just telling you, you better send three or four my way if I'm fighting for tax. I don't ever have to pay tax again. You better send the mob my way. No taxes for life? Here's what I want you to know is the battle, you're not just fighting, you're not just fighting the fight. You're fighting for a victory beyond the fight. You're not just fighting against an enemy. You're fighting for a victory. And what God has for you, you're not just in the fight for the sake of the fight. You're in it to have your purpose, have your destiny, have your marriage, have what God called you to. You're here to have the thing God birthed you on this planet for and to walk in it successfully. Come on, somebody. Stop letting the enemy intimidate you out of your purpose. And so he goes down, and, man, he's, he's ready to get it on. He's ready to fight. He's ready to engage. I remember I was in uh, probably seventh grade. Seventh or eighth, and there was a there was a kid who's kind of a bully, a punk. You know him. If you don't know who they were, you were him. <laughs> and uh, I lived about two miles from the school, and so I had to walk home. Yes, it was uphill, both ways in the snow. And I'll never forget, right? School year starts, and everybody's you know trying to fight their way and find their way in the pecking order. You know how it is back in school days. And, I'll never forget this kid, Billy Carpenter. He, we're walking home from school, and I watched for several weeks as he bullied this same kid every day. And he'd just walk up behind him and push him and punk him, smack talk him, just try and, and you could just see this other kid. He would just have this fear and intimidate. Like he didn't want anything. He just, you could tell like he just, I just want to be home. And he would never turn around. He would never face his bully. He would never respond day after day, week after week, until one day. And I'll never forget, because it's like 15 years ago. <laughs> it's not that long ago. I'll never forget the day he turned around and went toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And I'm just telling you, it was one of the greatest fights I have ever seen. Like, you would think a seventh grade fight is like, you know, pinching and pulling hair. These cats, it was on like Donkey Kong. That, that junk should have been on pay-per-view. And they went at, and I'm just telling you, Billy Carpenter whooped. He didn't get beat up. He got beat down sideways, but he stood up. And the next day, Billy started again, and the kids stood up again. They got in fights four days in a row. 
And by the end of the fourth fight, this other kid was best in Billy. And I'm just telling you, you got to ask the question like, you know, why didn't he fight sooner? Why didn't he stand up? Why didn't day one, when this kid came up and got in his grill, why didn't he stand up there? Do you know why? Because he never believed he could win. But when he finally said enough is enough, he wasn't just fighting the fight to get a victory. He was fighting for what was on the other side. I imagine every day he woke up in intimidation and fear, hated going to school. But I'm telling you, the next day, he was head high, walked onto campus because he got a victory. Some of you got a marriage coming, a breakthrough coming, finances coming, a destiny coming. If you will only fight the fight, you're not just fighting against something. You are fighting for something. You know, one of the things that I love to talk about here at Faith Church and is a regular topic of conversation, and Lawrenceburg, you know it is. You know, I love to talk about that God has a purpose and a plan for us. Does anybody here believe that God has plans for you? Like, you're not here by accident. You didn't evolve. You, you weren't a mistake. I don't care what your mama said <laughs> or your daddy or whoever. <laughs> like, you were destined. You were, you're on purpose. You're intentional. You're shaped in the hands of the master with a mission to fulfill. And so I love to talk about it. Think about this. The God who created you, he said your days, your days are numbered in his books. He knows how long you're going to be here, and he knows what he put you here to do. Isn't that awesome? And we love to talk about that. We love to talk about that we, that we know that he has plans for us and purposes. But did you know the enemy has plans for you too? We don't talk about that. The same way God has plans to prosper you, the enemy has plans to destroy you. Let me give you an example. Watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Satan will not outsmart us. That's a great declaration. Can we just say that together? Come on, Florence. Lawrenceburg, say that. Satan will not outsmart us because we're familiar with his evil schemes. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 6. six. I said 6. I don't care what you heard, perverts. I said six. <laughs> That's my wife, by the way. I know her. <laughs> like I need a stun. I need a redo. I need a mulligan. Ephesians 6, right? So Paul says this. He says, we're not to be ignorant of his strategies. We're not to be ignorant, unaware of his schemes. So you have all these words, right? The same way God is shaping a purpose and has a purpose and plan and how you get it and how you walk in it. The devil has a plan to keep you out of. He has schemes. He's thinking what will keep you out. Do you know what keeps most of us out of our purpose? It is intimidation summation. He's trying to make the fight look so big. He's trying to convince you it's unwinnable so you won't fight. Because if you won't fight, you can't win. Here's the promise of God when he is on our side. When God is fighting for you, when he's on your side and fighting through you, you can't lose. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Numbers 13 is, is really a powerful story. Um, if you've never read it before, as you move through the story, let me just give you the backdrop. So, right, God raises up this guy by the name of Abram. The single solitary guy who has faith in his creator and God pinpoints him and says that he's going to make this man, Abram, a great nation. He's going to bring a population out of him. But one of the first things he tells him is that he's going to take eventually his heritage and he's going to take them into this promised land. Everybody say promised land. Think 30A. Like it's a place where you want your condo. It's a place you want a vacation. 
God says, I'm going to give you this property. It's prime property. It's incredible. And over and over throughout scripture, God describes the place that he's going to give his people as a place flowing with milk and honey. And Abraham passes on the promise to his son Isaac, and Isaac passes on to his son and, and Jacob, and Jacob passes on to his son Joseph. And, honor, and as, 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 as the generations pass by, the family of God just gets bigger and bigger. And you know the story, they end up, because they don't do things God's way, the nation of Israel ends up for 400 years as slaves in the land of Egypt. And then God sends a rescuer, a deliverer, the same way he sent a rescuer and a deliverer for us. His name was Jesus. God sent a rescuer to rescue God's people by the name of Moses. And you know what Moses said? I'm getting you out of Egypt, and I'm taking you, come on, say it, to the promised land. And they're ready to go. This land they've been hearing about for generations. And I want you to watch how intimidation leaks in and keeps the people of God away from the promise of God. Watch. Numbers 13, we're going to run through some scripture here, but I want you to get this. Are you all with me? All right. I wasn't convinced by that, but I'll believe you. Your silence is deafening. Are you all with me? Yeah. Numbers 13, watch. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to do what? Explore to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. That's all God said. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. God said, all I want you to do I want you to go scope it out. You know how when you shake packages on Christmas, you're like, oh, there's something good in here. It's heavy. God said, I want you just to go shake the pa- I want you to go. I want you to go just, just lay eyes on what I got for you. God has something good for you. And so God tells Moses, get some people and send them in to spot the land. Just go check out the land. But watch what happens. Numbers 13, verse 17. Moses gave the men that he was going to send into the land to spy it out, gave them these instructions as he sent them out to do what? Explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country and see what the land is like. That's all God told him to do. But watch what Moses adds to the instructions. He says, see what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. Did you notice what happened? God said, I want you to go check out this incredible destiny I have for you. But instead, they just don't go check out the land. They, Moses says, and go check out the people too. And then he doesn't just say, go check out the people. He says, go, is the land, go see if the land's fertile. God's been telling them for generations it's good land. What I'm telling you is this, is that the enemy will start trying putting obstacles in front of your path to get you from walking and taking your journey. He'll try to start throwing stuff in your path. He'll start trying to throw challenges up in front of you to get you to back down from your challenger. And then he'll try to tell you the marriage ain't all that anyways. That, that calling, that purpose, I mean, it's not. He'll try to start minimizing how big the promise can be. Did you see what he did? God said it's a land flowing milk and honey. And Moses like, hey, go check and see if like there's like we even even plant some some crops there. And then watch. The spies go and then they come back. Verse twenty seven, verse twenty eight. This was the report to Moses. Forty days later, we entered the land that you sent us to explore, and indeed, it's a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. That should have been their only, that should have been all they said, because that's what God said, go find out. But watch. 
But, everybody say but. Everybody's got a big one. That's why we ain't fighting. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. And even we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Have you noticed they didn't come back talking about the property. They came back talking about the problems. He says this. He says, so they spread this bad report, not about how good the land was. They spread the bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. And we even saw giants there and the descendants of Anak. And next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. Did you see like what happened? God said, go check out the property I'm giving you. Moses said, go check out the property and check out the enemies. How big are they? They come back talking more about the enemies. You have to decide in the fight you're going to fight. If you're going to fight, here's your decision. You have to decide, are you going to focus on the opposition or the opportunity? If you focus, here's what I know from my life, is when I begin to focus on the opposition, I feel intimidation. When I begin to focus on the opportunity, I feel invigoration. When I start, and I just believe with all of my heart, that's what God wants us to do, is I'm not saying that problems don't matter. I'm not saying the battle's not real. I'm saying let's get our eyes on the prize. Let's get our eyes on our purpose. Let's get our eyes what could be, what God promised, and let's fight for the other side of victory. Come on. This is, I mean, it's crazy. They come back and what's so cool, and if you've never read this story, they come back and they have grapes. Do y'all remember the Fruit of the Looms, guys? That's where this came from. They bring back a bunch of grapes. Grapes are as big as your head. I would have started a business with them where you just put a, like a Disney, like you just put a straw on a grape. That's a money idea, isn't it? Come on. Anybody here, you ever have a money idea? Ever, anybody here have an invention idea hit you and you're like, oh, I'm going to get rich. And then you Google it and somebody else already did it. You're like, dang. Oh, I'm going to get rich. My time's coming. I got ideas popping all the time. I had one great idea a few years ago. We were on the beach. This has nothing to do with the message. This is free. <laughs> just let you in a little insight in my head. And uh, my wife, she was either just pregnant or recently pregnant. And we're laying on the beach. And you know the beach chairs? And, you know, it's one thing to lay on your back, but to flip over, I imagine if you're pregnant, you got a baby, I imagine that has to be pretty comfortable for you and probably not so comfortable for the fetus in your room, like, get off. So I'm not pregnant, though I might look like it, but I thought that's got to be uncomfortable to lay on your front. So I had this ingenious idea. What if you took a beach chair and there was a spot you could remove that when you rolled over, your belly just laid right in it and hung down? <laughs> That's a million-dollar idea. I even had a whole, like, I had a whole line, and I called it fat, P-H-A-T, pregnant, hot, and tan. <laughs> Woo, that's got something on it, don't it? I Googled it, and somebody had already come up with the chair. I'm suing them for copyright infringement. <laughs> but think about this, right? God says, go check it out, and they come back, and they are so focused on the giants. They're so focused on the obstacles. The nation of Israel, instead of getting the victory, they're so focused on Goliath. Listen to me. The enemy wants to convince you you are stripped, that you are outmatched, that you are overwhelmed. There's no way you can win. There's no way you can do it. There's no way you can get there. So don't even fight. Don't even try. You might as well tap out. And God says, if you'll get in the fight, I'll fight with you, for you, and through you, and you will have the victory, and you'll have the prize. You'll have the, but you got to push back against your enemy. David, this is exactly how he walks down on the battlefield. If you're taking notes, i got to say this. Intimidation wins the fight before it even begins. Intimidation wins the fight. If you're intimidated, you lost. 
I had the privilege. Anybody here ever actually see Mike Tyson fight? Ever actually see? Raise your hand. Help me. Lawrenceburg? So I've been a big boxing fan. I've not really watched it much in, by the last decade, but for years. Love boxing. I was born in, in 71, so I was able to see the tail end of the great Muhammad Ali. Incredible. But I got to watch as a teenager Mike Tyson throw down. If you've never seen Mike Tyson fight, especially in his prime, he was an animal. And I remember the first time we watched him fight, I'll never forget. I got some buddies. I'm a teenager, probably 16 years old. You don't have a lot of money when you're 16, but we all kicked in like $8 each and $5 each on something else. And we got together. I wasn't saved yet. Come on. I wasn't saved yet. And we watched a pay-per-view fight. And I remember Mike Tyson's name was all Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson. And I remember we sat down to watch this fight, and like we're ready for 12 rounds of chaos. And Mike Tyson walks out and fights. He's at the end of his career, his opponent, Michael Spinks. And he walks out, and we're all like, oh, this is going to be good. And he knocks out Michael Spinks in 90 seconds, to which I said, brother needs a refund. <laughs> 90 seconds, that's it? Like, I didn't even get my pizza out of the microwave yet. But Mike Tyson, for the next 15 years, went on a tear. 44 out of 50 fights were knockouts. 22 was in the first round. Nine was in under, or I'm sorry, six was in under 40 seconds or less. And you would watch him get into the ring, and the same thing happened every time. As his fame grew and as his reputation grew, you would watch it over and over, fight after fight. I'm sure other people seen it because I watched it happen. The opponent would come out, and he would come out like with his confidence, and he would go down, and his music playing, and his people applaud him, and he'd climb in the ring and hop around, and then they would announce. And the heavyweight, undisputed champion of the world, Mike Tyson, and his music would start. And his face like Flint, he would come down. And you would watch the soul of his opponent melt. You could see, just like Goliath, him just strip them naked. His opponents had already lost before the fight began. I'm talking about great boxers. But in their mind, they were intimidated out of the fight. He knocked them out, not just because Mike Tyson was tough, because he robbed his opponents of their confidence. I'm not saying you're not fighting some tough battles. What I'm telling you is the difference maker isn't how big your enemy is. It's your confidence. We got to stop seeing and focusing on the greatness of our Goliath and start focusing on the greatness of our God. Our God is much bigger. So David walks down. He walks down. And you have to imagine the chatter. I mean, I, I hate to say it because David was the Israelites, like that's their go-to guy. That's, that's the representation. But I have to believe they were taking bets and everybody was betting on Goliath. Vegas had Goliath like one-to-one. -one. <laughs> like they're like, there's no way Goliath can't win. I'm going to tell you what, if you're going to fight this battle, you've got to know who the underdog is. David knew who the underdog was. And he's like, it's not me. Who's the underdog in your fight? We all have rivals. We all have challenges. We all have battles. And we're fighting for something. 
what you're in is bigger than probably what you feel. But if you'll fight, if you'll get past the intimidation, if you'll start believing I can have the marriage, I can have the family, I can have the resources, I can have the destiny, I can have the business, I can have the degree, I can have my calling, I can have my purpose, I can walk in my gifting. Come on, is anybody ready to help me today? I can have everything God said I can have if I'm willing just to fight. David experienced something I'm praying for all of us today, including myself. I don't back down often, but it's, it's crazy how sometimes I'll still focus on the opposition instead of the opportunity. So here's my prayer. I think David walked in it. Here's what I'm praying for all of us. That God wants us to experience intimidation, emancipation. God wants you free of fear, so you'll fight your fight. God wants you free of fear, so you'll fight your fight. That you'll stop being talked out of a potential victory, and you'll start believing you can have a victory. How many of this room would say, Pastor Steve, I... Come on, Lawrenceburg. How many of you would say, I need, I need some freedom from fear? I need, I need some intimidation, emancipation. I'm ready to fight. Come on, is anybody here ready to fight? So, Father, all over this room, and I pray over every person watching online, I pray, God, the thing that's gotten in our mind has talked us out of our purpose. I pray, God, the, the, the giant in front of us, the battle that feels too big, the thing we've given up, stop, we've stopped believing that we could have it. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray, God, the power of intimidation would be broken. I pray freedom over fear and confidence in the fight. That, Lord, we'll walk into battle. We will face our foe. And we will have the victory you have for us. So, Lord, I pray over every person free in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed, said amen. amen. Listen, just for one more second with your eyes closed and your head bowed. Listen, the greatest thing you will ever do is give your life to Jesus. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all messed up. We've all missed the mark. Sin is doing life your way and not God's way. It's taking your path and not his path. We've all done it. And that's what separates us from a God who loves us because he's perfect. But he doesn't want to live life and do life without you. So he made a way for all of us to be reconnected. And that's through his son, Jesus. And so he sent Jesus, his son, on a rescue mission to die on the cross, to pay the price for my sin and yours. And so we don't don't earn our way into heaven and we don't earn our way into a relationship with God. It's a gift that Jesus made possible through his sacrifice. And if you want to say, God, I need it. I need forgiveness. You'll never have to earn it and you never could, but he'll give it to all who ask. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor Steve, today I... I want to start my relationship with God. I need his grace. I need a new beginning. I need forgiveness. If that's you all over this room, I'm going to close in one more prayer. If you want to include in this prayer, I want you to just lift your hand. Come on. Say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. Today, I want to give my life to Jesus. Today, I want to trust him for grace and salvation. Come on, throw it real high and leave it all over this room. Come on. Come on. Don't miss this. This is a life-changing opportunity. Man, the Holy Spirit's tapping on your heart. Come on. This is a great opportunity to say, God, I, I surrender to you. Just leave it up for a minute. Thank you, 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 thank you. A lot of hands. I'm going to close in this prayer. You can pray my way or pray your own way. God will hear you. It's not about how incredible your prayer is. It's about how humble your heart is. 
And so, Father, we just come thankful that you love us. You've never stopped loving any of us in this room, no matter what we've done, where we've gone. And you love us enough that you sent your son for us. And so, Lord, I pray forgiveness. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us of our sin. We put all of our hope and all of our trust in you. We believe you died for us and you rose from the dead. And because you live, we'll live forever. And I choose today to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees said amen. Amen. Come on, church. Can we give God big praise in this house? God bless you guys, man. We'll see you next week for week three arrivals.